Just yesterday afternoon, I ran into someone that I hadn't met before. We were in the same place at the same time, and so naturally we started talking and we introduced ourselves. I asked him his name, he told me, and he asked me my name, I told him Father White, and he said, well, what's your first name? And he explained that, you know, he, he's not going to be able to call me by my title. Believe it or not, I actually get that pretty often, so I'm used to this by now. I usually just tell them my first name, no worries. And we kind of talked a little bit, and, um, and he kind of explained a little bit of his story, and I asked him, well, are you Christian? And he said, yeah, yeah, I'm Christian. I used to be Catholic, but, you know, and then he goes on a little bit about how he's no longer Catholic, but he, you know, he believes in the Bible and the 12 apostles and their teachings. And then he brought up this passage in the Bible about how Jesus says in Matthew's gospel to call no man your father because there's only one father in heaven. That happened yesterday, which is really interesting. My, my immediate response was like, wow, it's so interesting because that's actually our readings this weekend. What are the odds that you would bring that up right now? And so he just looked at me like he wasn't as excited as I was, but he kind of... <laughs> just looked at me with a perplexed look and said, so you don't see anything wrong with that passage? And I said, no, not really. He wasn't really interested in my explanation. And I had to kind of pay attention to that, right? Like, so sometimes whenever we get in these little discussions about what we believe, we can get so overzealous and like, just kind of like information dump on top of people that aren't interested. So we have to kind of just like encounter the human person and feel them out first before we just jump into it. He really wasn't interested in like the explanations. He just kind of wanted to let me know why he's not going to call me by father. So no worries. We kind of kept talking and we ended on a good note and said goodbye. And who knows, maybe I'll see him again one day. I did invite him to mass to come hear the explanation if he was interested. But again, I mean, uh, everybody has their own journey. But I thought, you know, this, this uh, is fitting because probably many of you have heard this question before. And honestly, the answer is just Google it. Like, you know, it, like it's there. Like the Catholic Church has thought about this before um, in the history of 2,000 years. This is not the first time we've brought this up. So it's there. If, you like, if you're really, really interested, we can find it. Um, but I thought I would reflect on it a little bit today um, just to give you a little bit uh, of thoughts and, and maybe even apply it to some practical pieces to your life. As always, whenever we reflect on this, the scriptures, we have to go to the context. I've brought this up before. Context, context, context was my scripture professor's favorite phrase. He would say those, the, that word three times in a row just to get it in our brains that yes, we in our culture, we love like memes, we love bumper stickers, we love quick, pithy phrases and quotes because they're easy to remember and sometimes they can be especially inspiring, but a lot of times we pull out the meaning of what's actually said because we take it out of context. But the human experience is so contextual, there's always a context. Who said it? Why did they say it? Who were they talking to? What was the, the conversation about? What, were they, what point were they trying to make? All the time, we say things throughout the day that if you would take it out of context, whoa, we would completely, that would not sound good. So we, let's look at this one in context. So we're, at the end, we're towards the very end of, of Matthew's gospel. And over and over again throughout the gospels, we see it all the time. Jesus just 
is, is going at it with the scribes and the Pharisees. They just don't get it. And the main reason they just don't get it is because they're hypocrites. They have these religious authorities. They, they're in positions of religious, of, of religious authority. And, and they, they teach and they preach, but they don't practice what they preach. And, and Jesus even points that out, you know, and, and he's just at this point, like he's had it. So he's not even talking to the scribes and Pharisees in today's gospel. He is talking to the crowds and to the disciples about the scribes and Pharisees. And he's instructing them. He says, listen, we observe their authority. They are, in fact, in positions of a religious authority. And so what they preach, we do have to follow. We do have to obey. But he says, but don't follow their example. Because they lay heavy burdens on people and they do not even lift a finger to help them. And they love titles and places of honor and greetings in the marketplace. They love to be recognized and respected, but they have no humility. He says, as for you guys, don't worry about all those titles and positions of authority and, and striving for and, and, you know, battling out for, for respect. Don't worry about the title rabbi and master and father. All of those titles come from God who is the ultimate rabbi, master, and father. Instead, stop exalting yourself. Instead, humble yourself. Humble yourself so that God can exalt you. So that's kind of putting it into context for us, that Jesus is using just rhetoric, hyperbole, to kind of just like prove his point that humility is essential. The point he's trying to make is that scribes and Pharisees have no humility, and because of that, they lose all real authority. Even though they have the title, their moral authority is lost. And so he's teaching his disciples and even the crowds that as we spread the good news and and try to extend the kingdom of God on earth, humility is a must. It's not optional. So that's the, the context of the, of the scripture passage, but we could even look at the historical context. How did the early Christians understand the gospel of Matthew? How did they interpret this passage? And the early Christians seemed to not really have an issue with saying the word father and applying it to human beings. In fact, we can even look at scripture to find examples. So in the Acts of the Apostles, we see St. Stephen and St. Paul. Two early church Christians, both of which are saints now, they are preaching to the crowds, and when they preach to the crowds, they address them as, quote, brothers and fathers, looking at human beings, calling them fathers. That was St. Stephen and St. Paul in Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 22. And even St. Paul especially, who is the greatest missionary we've ever had in the history of the church, he, he had a real conversion, was so close to the Lord, we consider him an apostle, okay? So his teaching is, is binding. And, and, and all of his letters, not all of his, but a lot of his letters are part of sacred scripture. So, so he, this is a really important character here. And as many as six times, he uses the word father after the gospel of Matthew has been written, mind you. He uses the word father to apply to human beings. So three times he uses it to... Um, apply to natural fathers, like, like human dads, like, like humans who have children, men who have children, biological children. He's referring to them in, um, 
in the letters to the Ephesians, to the Colossians, and, and to Hebrews. And then he refers to spiritual fathers in his letters to the Philippians and Philemon, and he even refers to himself as a spiritual father in his first letter to the Corinthians. So, it seems to be the case that early Christians did not read the Gospel of Matthew thinking, okay, there's a taboo on the word padre, can't say it. That's not what Jesus is getting at. He's trying, he's using hyperbole. Jesus also says that if your eye calls you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand calls you to sin, cut it off. Well, why do you guys still have eyes and hands? Because I know, I know that you, everyone in here has sinned with your eyes and your hands at least once in your life. Why do you still have it? Jesus uses rhetoric sometimes. So thank God we don't just take a sentence out of context and apply it to how we think we should understand it. So that's just a little bit of understanding. And that's why also the, the early church Christians would refer to those early church theologians as the church fathers, and eventually to start calling their clergy, as we know it today, the priests fathers. So uh, that's just a little bit of context for you. But, but really, what Jesus is talking about is humility, and, and I think this is such a, a missed virtue. We miss it so much. What is humility? I mean, a lot of times we think of humility as the person with bad posture and who gets taken advantage of and is soft-spoken, but that's not humility. Humility is not thinking of yourself less, but thinking less of yourself. I'll say that again. I didn't make it up, so don't give me the credit, but it's a really good definition. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's about thinking of yourself less. In other words, you think of God and neighbor before you think of yourself. St. Thomas Aquinas defines humility as truth. Humility is truth. And the truth is that God is love. And he created the world purely out of love. The cosmos, the universe, the galaxies, and this world. And everything within it, he created out of love. And he created it, and it was good. And his highest creation is the human person because it's made in the image and likeness of him. And so that is already a humble truth that you and I, we all have this supreme dignity because we're created by the creator God. But also in in humble truth, we have to recognize that we have rejected that gift by our sin. We have chosen to turn away from God over and over again in our life. And usually it's not because we, like, we decide that we're going to be evil, but, but rather, usually we just find ourselves sinning because we've been hurt and because we're afraid and because we don't trust that God is good. And we, we find ourselves in this, this rapid spiral of sin, and sin builds up our pride. And it's really difficult these days to be humble, to, to live in the truth, the truth that, that we are made for relationship with God and with others, that life is not just an isolated experience about seeking our own pleasures and conveniences. Life is not about conquering others and so that they might respect us as we have power over them, but rather the truth is we're made for love. So God is not reprimanding religious titles, and he's not reprimanding authority, per se. We need authority and structures in society. Otherwise, it would be utter chaos. But if we're given authority in whatever 
moment of our life, that authority is given to us not for power, or maybe to let me say it this way, that authority is not given us not so that we can control others, but rather so that we can serve others, so that we can love others, which is why the popes throughout the ages have referred to themselves as the servants of the servant. Let me say that again. I start talking too fast. The popes refer to themselves as the servant of the servants of Christ. We are the servants of Christ, and the pope is the servant of us, the servants of Christ. That's a great way to see the papacy. Most people see it as just this really powerful political figure, but really at the heart of it is, no, Peter was given the keys to the kingdom so that he could lay down his life as Christ laid down his life for his sheep. So I just want to uh, get you to, to reflect tonight, ask this question for you. Do you find yourself someone who thirsts and hungers for honor and respect? Do you find yourself like always searching for affirmation and respect from others? Do you chase honor more than you chase the Lord? I think sometimes we can maybe kind of fall into that trap. Why? Because, yeah, like honor, people like you whenever you are noble and honorable. Whenever you achieve great things, people respect you, and that's, that's neat because people like you, and we don't want to be rejected. But it doesn't give us ultimate happiness in the same way that money doesn't because it's a means to an end. Money is a means to an end. Money can, can purchase things either for good or for evil. And similar, honor can help you do things either for good or for evil. But honor in itself is just, it never fully satisfies. It's never enough. You're, you always are left wanting more. We... We need witnesses. We need humble witnesses. There's a lot of people in the world right now that are saying a lot of stuff, all right? And you're probably one of them. There's just stuff being said all over the place. We have so many things to say. But very few, very few are humble enough to practice what they preach. Very few are humble enough to embody the gospel with their life. That's hard. That's really tough. But whenever you find someone humble enough to be consistent with what they're preaching by the way that they live, now they're worth listening to. Now they're not just some clanging gong or clashing cymbal. Now they're not just another noisy voice that it just seems powerful. They draw you in by their humility. And in their humility, we recognize an image of Christ who laid down his life for us. Yes, some of us will be given positions of honor, uh, titles, uh, positions of power and authority over others. For those of you that are parents, you have that on a natural level with your children, and that's a good thing. Uh, some of you might have that in your job. Uh, you might have been promoted to a, a level where you supervise other people uh, in your company. Um, maybe you've been, even been given some position of authority in the church, and if you've been given any level of authority or any honor whatsoever, any title, any power, any of that, you have a choice to make. You can use that to serve yourself and, and have all the conveniences. 
given to you, all the self-gain. You can exert power over others and oppress them. You can manipulate them. You can control your life and theirs, and you'll have quite a comfortable life. And honestly, you might even be pretty good at avoiding suffering. So your life might be generally happy, but it's just not going to satisfy. That's the first choice. You can use that power for selfish gain, or the other choice is that you can use that authority to lay down your life for others. You can use that authority for love. That's why God gives it to us. That's why God puts us in these positions, not so that we can control and dominate, but so that we can love, so that we can serve others by the influence that we have gained. That's the pattern of Scripture. God lifts up the lowly. He did it with Moses and King David and the Blessed Virgin Mary. And he does it all the times in the lives of the saints. Think of Mother Teresa and St. Therese, lowly, humble, never wanting to be on the scene, the global scene, but yet God exalted them. He elevates the lowly, but the, the exalted, those that exalt themselves, God will humble because those are too puffed up with pride to actually care about anyone else other than themselves. So today we pray for that virtue of humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not self-hatred. It's not being weak and passive and letting people um, take advantage of you. Humility is truth. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Humility is thinking first about God, and humility is noticing your neighbor in front of you. Today we pray for an increase in the virtue of humility so that we can bring others to Christ. Amen.